everybody. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Well, if you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians with me? Ephesians chapter 1. And as you turn there, this year as a church, we are um, really highlighting something that has been part of our foundation uh, since the beginning of this church, and that is that the Word of God would be uh, precious to us. And so we're just highlighting the Word of God, and um, one of the ways that we do that uh, historically and uh, continuing this year is just to work through books of the Bible. So we're in the book of Ephesians. We just started a few weeks ago. We're plugging through. And so now we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 6, and then I'm going to read verse 12, and then I'm going to read verse 14. Okay, so I'll remind you of that as we go so that you don't get lost. If you don't have a paper Bible, I know that might take you a little bit to kind of scroll through, but uh, we use the English Standard Version if you're looking for an app uh, for that. But um, let's dive into the Word together. I'll read it, and then I will pray. Beginning at verse 3 of chapter 1 in the book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now skip down to verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Now skip down to verse 14. The Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And let's read these last words together. To the praise of His glory. Let me pray. Father, we stop in this moment and I feel personally a remarkable inadequacy. I cannot produce what I have been pleading for you to do. And that is that, Father, by your mercy, you would overwhelm us with your greatness. That Father you would show yourself. As all sufficient. And satisfying. And as the one who can care for every need of the human heart. Father. We can plant. And we can water. But only you can cause the growth. So I plead with you by your Holy Spirit, to cause affections to rise up in the heart for Jesus. And may we make it our aim in all that we do, that we would live for your fame, your glory, that you would be reflected as beautiful in our lives. Do it, God, I pray. In this church and in our individual lives, make us live to the praise of your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm a father of four kids, 
and there is one question that is notorious in all of my children, and I really thought that in part it would slow down, but it still kind of happens, and it's the question, the question why? Why? Why is this happening? Why are we doing this? Why should I think this way? Why should I do this? It's a beautiful question. It's a helpful question. But it's basically, it's a question that says, what's the point? What's the point? So I want us to spend a second participating, playing a little game, as it were, for you to answer questions. Now, in this game, there will be no consolation prizes, and there will be no gifts given out. So I'm sorry. Um, Forgive me. But in my house, um, we've got a unique phenomenon, six people in the home, Five people have birthdays between now and March the 10th. So Jaden's birthday is January 24th, Justice's birthday, February 5th, two weeks later, Mercy's birthday, February 17th, and then a few weeks later, Elijah and I born on the same day, March the 10th. So we're just all slammed in together, okay? And if you don't forget, Christmas was just a little bit ago. So we're party central at the Cordell House. Now, Here's what I want us to think about. If I say for my little boy Justice, as we've been trying to focus in on trying to bless him for his birthday, if I use this sentence, I threw a party for my son's birthday. I need you to answer, which one is the greater point, the party or my son? Answer, son. I threw a party for... My son's birthday for him. Okay? Okay, good job. You guys did pretty well on that one. Let's go to the next one. Um, I went to the store to get food. Which one's more important? The store or the food? The food. The point is the food. I want the food, right? Okay, good job. See, you're two for two. About a thousand. Here we roll. Next one. I went to the gas station to get gas. What's the point? The gas station or the gas? The gas. That's right. Now, what if I kept going? And I said, and I got the gas in order that I might go to the doctor. Which one is most important? What's the point? The doctor. And then what if I said, and I went to the doctor in order that he or she might save my life? What would be the point? The doctor or life? Life, that's right. So we understand that we do things for a certain end, a certain point, a certain goal. And Paul right now lays out for the readers of the book of Ephesians, what is the goal, what is the point to everything? And he repeats it like a chorus to a song that you can't get out your head to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Three times. Let me push on a little bit. To the praise of his glory. Is the point the praise or the glory? Is the point that we would actually speak or that we would speak about his greatness? Which one's the point? His greatness. The point is not just the praise, but the point is that he gets glory. That his greatness and majesty is heralded in the church and treasured in the hearts of the people of God. Paul is saying, out of prison to this church in the midst of a world that is treasuring nothing but itself, 
He disorients them with songs of praise, chorus after chorus after chorus, that it is the glory of God that is the point of all of life. You're looking for joy? It is the glory of God. What is the point of today? What is the point? Why did you come in here? If you're like me, I come in here because I'm needy. I come in here because with a hard week, I need something that will sustain. I need, I need something that will help me. But listen, the greatest gift I can give you is not some fancy phrase that you can remember that might comfort you for a moment. The greatest gift I can give you is God himself. For when you see and understand and hunger for and go after with your life the glory of God, that's what keeps you from giving up week to week. That He is worthy to go after and He will never leave you nor forsake you. We need God. Paul knows it. And so he repeats it over and over to the praise of His glory. What's the point of today? His glory. What's the point of your struggle? His glory. What's the point of your joys and all the things you enjoy? His glory. So therefore, friends, Paul says it is to the praise of His glory. Now let me press on it just a little bit more. As we sit here and as we get to interact with each other, I watch it and I've received it. People loving one another, listening to one another, weeping with one another, laughing with one another, encouraging and providing for one another. I've seen people text one another and send emails to one another just to say, I'm praying for you. I've seen people show up and be with people. All of these things are beautiful and wonderful. Why is that so good? Because in those moments, there is a reflection of the image of God to us. In those moments, we are seeing a glimpse of God. That's what's so precious about that. It is a gift that you are an encourager, but even more, your encouragement is a reflection of the glory of God. Once again, you're a conduit through which God gets praise. Everything that we do is for the glory of God. And so, when we say we want to See people who do not love Jesus know Jesus. What's the point of that? It is not so that you can get more numbers, so that you can add some friends to your life. It's so that people who have never known love like this would know the love of God and enjoy His glory. They would get Him. When we talk about doing what Jesus did, having a keen eye towards the poor in our community and in our city and to the ends of the earth, why would we do that? It is not just so that their lives would be comfortable. It is so that those individuals would hear with our mouth and see with our deeds that God is worthy to be praised and that He cares about them and He loves them. It is for the glory of God. We do not pursue a church. More and more we are deepening as a church into multi-ethnicity. We are praying for it. But the end is not diversity. The end is that God would be seen as glorious. Anything else flips it around. It puts other things as more important. The glory of God is the aim of everything we do. And Paul says the glory of God is the aim of 
of your salvation. It's why you being rescued from sin is even precious. It's not that just that you feel better. It's not just that you have an answer for your sin. It's that you, a sinner who should be separated from God because of your sin, you get connected to God Himself. He is no longer, you or guys are no longer enemies, but you are at peace. A beautiful message of the gospel. And Paul says this. He says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then verses 4 to 14, he describes what those blessings are. He describes them. And part of it, he asks us to look to eternity past, to a God who has no beginning and has no end and has a plan and a purpose. And it says, follow me. Verse 4. Even as God the Father chose His children in Christ before the foundation of the world, before time began, He did that so that those who trust in him they would become holy and blameless and that they're going to get to the end he did that why verse 6 to the praise of his glory so whatever that means that was done for the praise of the glory of God keep going look at verse 5 in love in love goes both ways we'll talk about that next week verse 5 he predestined us for adoption He had a plan before time began that we would be children through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Why? To the praise of His glorious grace. He did that that He might get glory. Now, in case you are missing it, it says here, to the praise of His glorious grace. Literally, it says, to the praise of of the glory of His grace. And it says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. That's a threefold refrain. He just keeps going at it. But this uniquely here at verse 6 is highlighting that this work of God to give you all the blessings of salvation are a free gift of grace. That's part of his glory. That it's a, a gracious thing. What's grace? Unmerited, undeserved favor. Nothing you could do to earn it. It's grace. And that is meant to cause our mouths to praise because He is glorious. Now, something else that's interesting about verses 4 to 14. Who's the glory being given to here to the praise of His glory? Who's the His? It's God the Father. But now flip down to verse 12. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be the praise to the praise of His glory. Who's the His there? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son. And then flip on down to verse 14. It says, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Who's the His in that sentence? The Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. That is the glory of our God. And that glorious God is eternal, immutable. He never changes. 
And he is always merciful and always loving and always just and always gracious. It's not like he does it in segments. He's not kind at this moment and then wrathful at this moment and then loving at this moment and then justice at this moment. No, he is always, always eternal, just, loving, gracious. That's who God is. And it equally applies to every member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is God and to him be all glory. Now that is meant to make your brain go like this and just pop. You guys did not come in here to have your brain stretched that far, but that's probably what is happening. But that is the point. We are dependent and he is not. And he, this great God of glory, is worthy of our praise. What is glory? Well, Super Bowl is this weekend. We understand uh, that there are two teams that are playing. The Who are they? Patriots and the Rams, right? I had someone come up to me before the service and say, I need you to say these two words, go Rams. And I said, well, what? I'm going to alienate some people. So what if I just said Patriots and the Rams go and so that way I get both those words in there. They're just not in the order you wanted them. But something's going to happen tonight. They're going to play a game and there will be a winner. And whoever the winner is, they're going to go down in history as a Super Bowl champion. It's going to be on their resume, so to speak. And it's going to build up their reputation. And they're going to be praised in many ways for their great work, for their glorious work. That made them better than any other team before. You know what's ironic though? More than likely, 10, 15 years from now, these players that are playing right now in the Super Bowl, they won't be in the Super Bowl. Can you tell me who won Super Bowl 22? Do you know? You don't, do you? Why? Because we forget. It was the Washington Redskins, by the way. 1988. You forget. Because the glory of finite people fades away. But the glory of the infinite never fades. The praise for people will go up one day and will fade the next. It's a fickle thing to live for the praise of another person. Because one moment you will have it and the next moment you will not. It will fade. Paul is passionate that there's one who deserves glory. There's one who deserves infinite praise. And in that one you will find your greatest joy. It is in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's in God Himself to the praise of his unfading glory. Now, I've been reading a book by a man named R.C. Sproul. It's called The Burning Bush. There's some lessons as I've been reading that book that have helped me just think and reflect on the glory of God. Now, Paul thought it was so important in Ephesians chapter 1 
to sing the song over and over with a repeating phrase to the praise of his glory. And yet you and I struggle to both wrap our minds around what glory is and to even think on his glory and to even know what it looks like to live for his glory from day to day. It's just a reality. We struggle. The glory of God is his reputation, his splendor, his majesty, his fame. But it's more than just his work. It is his essence, his being. And as hard as it is sometimes, I think we need to spend some time thinking on his glory. Stretching our hearts and stretching our minds to understand why in the world, out of prison, it would so excite Paul that he had to sing the song three times and he had to give it to the church and say, in the midst of your pain, sing this to the praise of his glory. It's worth the labor. And so I just want to go to one passage that R.C. Sproul went to, Exodus chapter 3, to teach us three lessons about glory. Lesson one. The glory of God is Jesus. And what we see in Jesus is both the greatness and the nearness of God's glory. The glory of God is Jesus. Number two, the glory of God is unchanging. And the glory of God shapes all of life. There's no way we will give adequate time to mining these depths. But let's just dive in. Dip our toes into a little bit of what it means to praise the glory Greatness, majesty, splendor, radiance, beauty, brilliance, the being, the essence, the name of God. Exodus chapter 3 should be on the screen for you. We're just going to look at it just a little bit as we think about this first idea. The glory of God is both his greatness and his nearness. His transcendence that he should not be near us and his eminence that he did come near us. It's a miracle. And we know that best in Jesus. But remarkably, we see it in Exodus 3. Now Moses, it says in Exodus 3 verse 1, was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. For 40 years, Moses lived that boring life. He's now 80 years old when we land here. Age 40, when he had to run away from Pharaoh because he had ended up killing an Egyptian. Thought he got away with it, but he did not. And he was caught, so he had to run. He runs to an area of Midian. And there, for 40 years, he's there. He was an Egyptian by adoption and by education, but he was a Jew by ethnicity. An Israelite. And so he finds himself at age 80 for 40 years just taking the flock to the edge of the mountain, letting them do their thing, taking them back. And God meets him. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, angel doesn't mean necessarily a spiritual being with flappy wings. Okay? It means... Here, specifically, angel of the Lord, we're going to begin to see that it is not just a messenger, but it's God himself. Because, we'll see, listen to verse 2, 3, and 4. Angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire 
out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Angel of the Lord appears as a fire in the bush. The fire speaks. Who's speaking? It's God himself. God has visited Moses. Now, here's what's interesting. It says that the bush was burning and it was not consumed. It means, according to R.C. Sproul, I think this is really helpful, the fire is independent of the bush. It's not using the bush for fuel. It has its own fuel. And the bush is sitting there not consumed. Instead, a fire in the midst of a bush, independent of the bush, has its own fuel to radiate its own light and its own heat, its own glory, its own greatness. This is what some would call a theophany. That is, theos, God, phonos, a manifestation or something made visible. Where God came and although no one has ever seen God, God is spirit. He is an invisible being that doesn't have a body like us and yet God made himself visible with some kind of manifestation, this fire in a bush. He does this throughout the Bible. I don't know if you remember Genesis 15. When God's making a covenant with Abraham. And he tells him to go and to slaughter an animal. And to go and to take these pieces of these animals. And and line them up. And then Abraham was supposed to walk down the middle of those pieces. And say okay I'm going to keep my covenant with you God. And before that happens all of a sudden it says. A smoking pot of fire. And a flaming torch. Go between those pieces. Why? God showing up on the scene again and he is saying I am staking this covenant on my glory I'm not going to swear on your name I'm going to swear on my name that I will do what I said I'm going to do he showed that by fire we also see in Exodus chapter 40 what happens when God is leading his people there's a cloud by day and, and a pillar of what by night fire a pillar of fire by night and you think about trying to live this way you're setting up a tent you got all your goods and you hang out until god says cloud move and then when you see the cloud move it's like boom okay you get your stuff and you start walking and all of a sudden the cloud stops and you stop beautiful picture of what it looks like To follow the glory of God. But he said this. The cloud was on the tabernacle. And the fire was in the tabernacle. To show the glory of God. We also see it. Have you ever heard a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those are some really crazy names. Book of Daniel. Three guys who wouldn't bow the knee. To anyone other than their God. 
They were thrown in a fiery furnace. When the king looks in at that fiery furnace expecting them to be incinerated, here's what you hear the king say. Did we not cast three men into the fire bound up? Yeah, we did, O king. But I see four men and they're unbound. And they're walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth, we only put three in. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods or like the son of God. So follow it. There's a raging fire that when it says in the text, when somebody got close to it, they were killed. It's, it's that hot. These men put into the fire, and yet this fourth is so radiant, so brilliant, so glorious, that you can see the difference between his radiant beauty and the flaming fire that these individuals were in. So much so that pagans say, that's got to be associated with God himself. So no wonder what's highlighted in the New Testament is on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the brilliant light of the glory of God. It's almost like Jesus pulls the curtain back on his glory for just a moment and everybody falls on their face. It's the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 9 when Paul is walking on the road to Damascus and he looks and the the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ Himself comes and the radiance is so brilliant, it blinds Him, literally blinds Him. Why is this? Why emphasize all of this? Because you need to know the glory of God. These are not fairy tales. These are not just made up stories. This is history. This is as real as the flesh on my hands, the chairs that you're sitting in, the brilliant radiance of the glory of God shone. And when it showed... There was a response. And the primary response was, Woe is me, this God is wholly other. Who is this radiant brilliance, this shining light coming out of this bush? Who is this radiant brilliance that appeared to Paul? The author of Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. What is the light and the heat that manifests itself as the glory of God? It is Jesus himself because he is the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's why it's so remarkable that Jesus came. He's that glorious. He is the glory of God in flesh. Mystery of mysteries, fully God and fully man. Jesus is the brightness of his glory. He has come. And so, look at Exodus with me just a little bit more. Because this glory, this glory caused a response. Verse 4, or verse 3, Moses said, hey, look at this great sight. There's a bush and it's on fire, but it's not being burned up. That's kind of cool. So he comes towards it and out of the bush speaks God and Moses stops in his tracks. 
And God himself says, Moses, Moses, here I am. Don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses did what people who understand their sinfulness do when they enter into the presence of God, they hide. What is that? What is it when you feel like you'd like to pull the covers over your head and not let anybody see your face? What's that? It's shame. It's this is purity and I'm not this. This is holiness and I'm not that. When you're in the presence of God, it forces you to ask the question, who am I? And it forces you to ask the question, who is he? That's exactly what we see in the story because it goes on. It goes on. And you see in verses 8 through 14. God says. And now behold the cry of the people of Israel have come to me. And I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come I will send you Moses to bring that to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now let's just stop there for a second. And this is where I want to conclude the first point and go to the next one. The glory of God is Jesus himself. And who does Jesus represent? It represents both the greatness and the nearness of God. If you understand his greatness, you would think he should not come near. And if you think he is near, then you would sometimes think he's not that great. The beauty is that the great holiness of God has come near and it causes us to fall on our face in worship. It's the both and. It's Jesus. Greatness and nearness. It's the incarnation. It's Christ. But this God is not only glorious because he is both great and near, but he's glorious because he is unchanging. And this is what you begin to see. He's unchanging in how he deals with people. And he's unchanging in who he is in his essence. You remember the two questions I said. When you enter into the glory of God. It is who am I and who is God. I get that from this text. Look at it. But Moses said to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh. And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now you would expect. Right after this, for him to give a list of reasons why he chose Moses. Because you were raised as an Egyptian. You've got a good education. I know you made some mistakes, but I think you're a good leader. We're going to be okay. That's not what he says. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead these people out? Answer, I'll be with you. That's the answer. That's not what I expected. It's not about Moses at all. It's about who God will be with. It's about God. It's about his glory. The greatness of his glory is that he uses sinful people not because of their great aptitude or their great skills. Many times he chooses the weak, right? To shame the strong because it proves his greatness, his glory. 
But I will be with you, he says. That's why I've chosen you. I'm just going to be with you and it's okay. Who am I? What did Moses do? He hides. There's a stark contrast between us and God. And this is shown in the book of Ephesians. Remember, we're studying the book of Ephesians, not the book of Exodus. But I want you to look at the book of Ephesians that holds these two together. Who am I and who is God? Ephesians chapter 2, just listen to it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Hear me now. This is every one of us apart from Jesus. Dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We did not have a mind towards the glory of God but only our own glory. We chose ourselves every time. We intentionally put a blindfold over our eyes. So that we would not have to look at the glory of God that covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. His glory is all over the place. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare His glory, but we don't want to look at it. Because it puts something on us that our lives got to change. This is who we were by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God. God who is great, who should pour out wrath, He came near. But God, being rich in mercy, there's glory. He's not just got mercy, he's rich in it. He's got an abundance of it. Because of the great love, he's just doting adjectives on nouns. He's got more love than the average love. It's a great love with which he poured out upon us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not when we had cleaned ourselves up, but when we were dead and couldn't clean ourselves up. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. This is the contrast. Our God is not changing. He is gloriously great and he will be faithful to his name to keep a people that will praise him to the end of all time. To the praise of his glorious grace. Our God is an unchanging God and that's why when Moses asks verse 13 and 14 of Exodus 3 If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, well, what's his name? What shall I say to him? God said, why don't you say this? I am who I am. I have no beginning and I have no end. I am. I am who I am. And so, this is the God. The unchanging God that changes sinners into children. This week I got an email. I was on the board of a Gateway. It's a pregnancy support center and just recently rotated off. But I still get emails regularly from them of ways that we can pray for clients that come in and things like that. And I got an email this week. An email this week from a woman who was abortion determined or abortion vulnerable. This pregnancy was unwanted. It came out of the blue. 
and she was going to end the life of this child. She comes into Gateway, and they spend some time with her, and they were talking to her. And the email I get is this. This woman has chosen to save the life of this child. We'll either keep the baby, we'll give it up for adoption, but she's going to keep this child. And my heart just leapt, but the next words made my heart leap even more. And she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And she is saved. She's rescued. She was one who was walking in darkness. Walked into that place. Walking in darkness. Walking out. Made alive in Christ. By sheer mercy. By the goodness of this God. Who although should not come near. Comes near. And has dwelt in his people. And has given us a gospel message. That is so powerful. It can change lives on the spot. And I just was so thankful to God for that story. And to know that that God is still at work. He is always at work. He is not changing. He was not somebody at one point before that. And then then he became somebody else. He's always the same God. Here's something I can tell you about me. I'm always changing. If I go and I exercise week after week. I can build up endurance and I can start running more. I like to run sometimes. I like to bike more. But when I do it, the more I do it, the more energy I have, the more endurance I have. I can go a pretty good distance. But when I stop, it doesn't take but a few weeks to then be out of breath when I try to attempt the same thing I tried just a few weeks later. Why is that? Because I'm always changing. I'm getting weaker. It is a fact that when my hair gets cut, there are more gray hairs in there as it goes. And I was reminded in my first service when somebody yelled out, that's because you're old. (laughs) Did not appreciate that. But there's some truth there. Older for sure. It's a fact of life. We get weaker. You stop working out, you get weaker. You will continue to get weaker. You are always changing. Whether you can see it or not, there's there's always change. This is the one thing that's different between the glories of God and us. We change and He doesn't. We change and He doesn't. That's why James tells us every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights from whom there is no variation. He's not moody. There's no change. There's no shadow due to change, it says. Our God is consistent. He's the same before your trial as He is in your trial and after your trial. He's the same. He doesn't change. Do you know He doesn't sleep? He doesn't lose power or diminish in strength no matter what you're facing. He doesn't go rogue. He will never be absent. He doesn't lead you astray. He is not for you one minute and against you the next. He is always for you. He doesn't lose control. He doesn't get worried and he doesn't lose his grip on your life. He is the same. And until we think on his glory, we will be tempted to think he is changing. 
So instead we say, He is always with us. He is always powerful. He knows everything. He is always loving me. He is always justice and yet always mercy. He is glorious. So when He says, I am who I am, He is saying, there is no change in me. The essence, my reputation, my being is, I am. And there is no change. That is my glory. R.C. Sproul says it this way. Sometimes we use the statements to compare us and God. We are human beings and He is a supreme being. As if the adjectives are what made us different. But Sproul goes on to say, it's not the adjectives that makes us different. It's being that makes us different. He alone, this is a quote, He alone has being in and of Himself. He alone has eternal being. Any being that you and I have is transitory. It's dependent. It's contingent. It's derived. It's a subset of His being. That's why Paul said in Acts 17, in Him we live and move and have our what? We're contingent upon Him being a being. Him having no beginning and no end. We are dependent people. Sproul says this, let me put it another way. Without Him, we couldn't live. Without Him, we would be static and inert. We couldn't move. The stars would freeze in their courses because their motion is not independent. It started in this vast organization of static inertia. Aristotle understood that for anything to move in this world, it has to be moved by something other than itself. So even our motion depends on the being of God. You walking in this room shows that you are dependent. You would be frozen. And yet your being is contingent to the being of God. Your motion, your thinking, all that you are is contingent upon the glory of God. So you play sports. Any motion you have is owing to the glory of God. You think for a living? Any thinking or stretching of the mind is owing to the movement of the being and the glory of God. Believer or unbeliever, you owe everything to the greatness of God. And it's meant to birth confidence. It's meant to give you a purpose. It's meant to pause and to say, what is the point of my life? What's the point? It's to the praise of His glory. And He tells us, Isaiah 43, verse 7. Why were you created? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why were you created? You were created to show off the greatness of God. How do you live? Why do you live? Psalm 115.1 Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. This is how a follower of Jesus talks. It's not for my glory. It's that I want your glory to be seen in all I do. So that's why the third point says, the glory of God shapes all of life. It shapes all of life. It shaped my morning the other morning. Early in the morning sometimes, trying to get ahead of some tasks, I will uh, try to do some laundry and put away some dishes before work begins. And sometimes when I do that, I 
catch sports radio. And that's a lot of fun, and I like listening to it. Well, this week, it was Thursday morning. Thursdays are my sermon prep days. And I was folding some clothes, and I was going to catch some sports radio, and then there was just this little push on the heart that was like, why don't you stop and spend some time in prayer? It was just like this sense of, why don't you stop and pray? Sports radio is not bad. Just felt this press to stop and pray. So, it's what I did. I got all these clothes. I pulled up a shirt for mercy and I started folding it. I began to pray for mercy. My little girl. As I would fold some clothes of my wife, I would pray for my wife. I would pray for my kids. But then I caught myself and all of a sudden, like five minutes in, I've been singing a song from Elton John in my brain. It's the dumbest thing in the world. I don't even like Elton John that much. It's like, why is this going through my brain? And I think I had heard it the day before or something, and it was just, you know, rattling through. Like, I caught myself. I was like, I don't even like this song. Why is this going on? So, you know, okay, regroup, Cordell. Get the next shirt. Let's fold it, and let's pray for them. I tell you, it happened like two more times. My brain's going sideways. This is what it looks like to make the glory of God the point of your day, right? I feel like, you know, you're a wreck, Cordell. But I'll tell you what happened. Because I really did, in all of my weakness, want to make the glory of God the pursuit of that morning, as I was praying, God met me. And there were some things that we, Dane and I had been praying for our kids, some decisions that we were making. We were just unsettled about what decisions we should make. And there was just this overwhelming peace. And he just pressed in upon my heart this strong sense that this is the right step to take as best we can tell. And that would not have happened had I not have stopped and prayed and said, in this moment, I do want to make the glory of God the point of my morning. What's the point? Is that it matters at every point in your life. What are you living for? Let me ask this. What's the point of your pain? It's easy to say it's the glory of God, but what's that mean? I know I've been quoting a lot of people. It's because I really am begging and reaching for words and turns of phrases that would help us want to hold on to living our lives for the glory of God. Charles Spurgeon says this. When dealing with someone who's asking the point of their pain, he says, quote, a first-rate diamond will undergo more cutting than an inferior one. The great owner of heaven's jewels uses a sharper cutting machine on the most valuable of stones. What's he saying? Have you ever thought that in your pain, it's not because you are less valuable, but because you are more valuable? That he is allowing you to experience this trial and this difficulty because he wants to shape you and use you. Paul talks that way. Paul talks that way when he says, I praise you because I've been counted worthy to suffer for your name. Sometimes our pain is, is meant to communicate, I love you this much that I'm going to show you that I am with you. But we've all said in our pain, I've said it. Why don't you intervene, God? Why don't you just break in and stop this? You could do it like that. Why don't you intervene? Spurgeon goes on to say, You often think Jesus does not care because he has not intervened with a great miracle. Gradually you're getting poorer 
or becoming more afflicted in body. You had hoped for a miracle. My dear friend, sometimes God works a greater wonder when he sustains people in trouble than by delivering them from trouble. And listen to the, the, the bridge between the burning bush and now. To let the bush burn with fire and not be consumed is a greater thing than quenching the flame and saving the bush. For us to experience sometimes the pain that we have and us still go through that pain and say, Jesus is my treasure. He is faithful and he is good. And there's not one ounce of my circumstances that says that, but that's who he is. And I love him. And he's beautiful. That gives God glory. Sometimes the point of our pain, all times, is the glory of God. What's the point of our mornings? What's the point of our pain? What's the point of our marriages? It's that God would be seen as beautiful. What's the point of us fighting for holiness? It's that God would be seen as our greatest treasure. What's the point of our possessions? Why do we have them? They're not yours. They're not mine. They are so that God would be seen as greater than the possessions. Why do we engage the world? It's for the glory of God. Why do we live where we live? It's for the glory of God. Why do we study what we study? It's for the glory of God. Why do we work where we work? It's for the glory of God. Everything is so that God will receive praise from our lives. So friends, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all what? To the glory of God. And so he says... Ephesian church, I want you to sing it. I want you to sing it over and over. I want it to be like a chorus that never leaves your brain. To the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, I ask. I feel so unable to communicate Your greatness. Grasping for words and it feels at times like sand is falling through the fingers to communicate your immeasurable greatness. And yet, Father, we ask. We ask that by your sovereign mercy, you would press upon our fragile, weak, finite hearts. Press upon us. A deeper sense of your majesty. A deeper sense of your being and how everything about us is contingent upon you. A deeper sense of your love and the magnitude and expanse and depth of your love for us. A deeper sense of how we should be so separate from you because you are pure and we are not. And yet a deeper sense of all that you drew near in your son Jesus that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins might be saved and receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Lord, fill us. Fill us with a hunger for your glory and a mouth that speaks and praises you for your glory. God, do what we cannot do. Awaken dead hearts. Give affection. Give desire. May it change how we live our lives. What's the point? All of life is so that you would be seen as majestic 
And you, oh great God, would be our God. Please, God, change us on the spot. And so as we sing and as we take the Lord's Supper, make it a prayer. Just ask Him. Say with Moses, show me your glory. Say with Jacob, I will not let go until you bless me with more of you. Hold on to him. Go after him. Ask him. We were created to be satisfied with nothing less than him. So this Lord's Supper is just a week in and week out reminder to say, Father, you are amazing and I love you it's a chance to repent of sin and to draw near to his throne of grace with confidence because Jesus died the death that you deserved and he rose from the dead so that you could be saved by simple faith in him celebrate that in these moments If you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. You can go and get the bread and the cup at one of these two tables in the front or one in the back. And just, you can go back to your seat or go somewhere in the room. Just spend some time in prayer. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe with all my heart that God has been at work. I trust His Word. And I've been asking that He would grip our church with a hunger for His glory. And I've been asking the same for you who might not be a part of this church. That you would see your life as small and Him as great and you would see yourself as one who falls short and who's a sinner and who struggles in shame and guilt and who needs to be forgiven and you would just call out in simple faith Not knowing everything, but just like, I cannot save myself. God, save me. I trust in your son Jesus as my only hope. Do not try to fix yourself and wait till you are better or you will never come at all. Call out to him in these moments that he might save you and make you new from the inside out. Wherever you find yourself, use this time to just ask that God himself would show himself to be glorious to you. He would satisfy you and he would change you. Let's take the Lord's Supper together.